What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24. Shohei again digging in for the first time in this ballpark. Major League Baseball's home run leader with 44. Coincidentally or not, it's Japanese Heritage Night tonight at the ballpark. So an even bigger bump in attendance with a lot of folks here to see Otani. And they really lucked out getting Senga on the mound. I mean, they had a 1-5 in five chance that he'd be out there on this night. And Senga misses with a fastball. Just looked like he wanted nothing to do with him there. He didn't look fully committed. To uh, challenge and show who has a couple career home runs against him back in Japan. Two different paths, though, to the Japanese major leagues by these two great athletes. Senga ahead of the count, one and two. Genki dish, Shohei Otani, feeling just fine. A rocket into right. And here come the Halos in the third. That ball was crushed. Listen to this place. It sounds like Angel Stadium. They're cheering. Well, Shohei, I, I don't know what this pitch is. I don't know if it's – we'll get a chance to look at it now. It is a little cutter. It didn't do anything. It just spins on that inside part of the plate. Once again, if Shohei gets underneath this, this ball's going to be well out of the ballpark. 115 miles an hour exit velocity off the bat of Shohei. And now Otani up for his third plate appearance. He's now the better of Senga so far. Walk and 115 mile an hour double. His first ever game at City Field. And for the second time tonight, Shohei Otani has drawn a walk. And they're going their own home pitcher for walking <laughs> a batter. Well, that's his 80th walk of the season. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 27th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silver. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media. And you can show up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silver at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. 
no G. Mike Soldat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast, our last dog days of August edition of the show. No, we're not. Despite the fact that the Mets are doing extended garbage time, we are not doing garbage time here at the Talking Mets Podcast. A lot to talk about. Shohei Otani came and saw City Field. Did he like it? What did you think? He may only be a hitter going forward. We'll talk about that. Is it Shohei or Shohei? Shohei Otani, right? Got that one wrong. If he comes here, you got to get that one right. Uh, Francisco Lindor, is he underappreciated? Maybe I need to do a lot of make culpas this year. Kodai Singa, Francisco Lindor. Maybe I need to do a make culpa on Lindor. And everybody's angry about Pete Alonso getting hit. And the Mets are and Buck is. But it's not going to get better. And it doesn't matter if you deck every one of the opposing players out the next time he gets hit. It's not going to get better, and I'll tell you why. So that's where we're at. A cool show here on a hot August night. Shohei, it's Shohei Otani. That's Shohei. Shohei Otani. Get that right, Mike. Jeez, get that right. So, uh, funny thing happened on the way to City Field. Shohei Otani is no longer a pitcher. Well, temporarily at least. We don't know the extent of the injury. And uh, it's a torn UCL. Could it be just a slight tear? Is it a full tear? You know, he's already had Tommy John surgery. And when the news came down, I mean, certainly... Uh, look, this is the best player maybe of our lifetime. I mean, look, I've seen guys like Bonds and Ricky Henderson and McGuire and Gwynn, and, you know, I could go on and on and on. I mean, especially growing up watching baseball in the 90s, so many great players, great pitchers, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, the list goes on and on. I saw Max Scherzer, no hitter. But, I mean, never has somebody increasingly gotten better to the point where Shohei Otani's at a 187 OPS plus coming into today's game. He's going to hit over 50 home runs if he continues to play every day at the DH spot. He's going to drive in over 100 runs. Very well will steal over 20 bases. Uh, And now, you know, he was always a very good offensive player. He's adding that patience at the plate. I mean, he's not walking at the Barry Bonds level 200 times a year, but 83 walks come into today's game, so it'll be over 100 walks. I mean, this is an elite, elite offensive player. Only downside is he can't play the field, but he does play the field as a pitcher. And if you remember last week, we dove into this a little bit when we were asking the question about whether or not the answer to the Mets' woes from a variety of standpoints, whether it be to improve the pitching while some of the young pitchers are going through this new lab that the Mets have, and you're starting to see some promises with the Tyler Stewart's, the Dominic Hamels, the Blade Tidwells, Mike Vazel with another good performance down in Syracuse. Is it up in Syracuse or down in Syracuse? I guess that's a discussion for another day. Um, but you're going to need some time, and you have Kodai Senga, who complete egg on my face, has been a top-five pitcher in baseball since about the middle of May. And actually was having a better season on the mound than Otani. We talked about that. Otani has not had, I mean, it's remarkable. And this is this is a nitpick, by the way, a huge nitpick. Guy's an MVP on the offensive side, even without the pitching. Guy's like n- number 33 in war on fan graphs on the pitching side. 
you saw he was a tick below what he normally was on the mound. You kind of knew. We talked about it last week that something was going on. And clearly there is. Now, how serious it is, is it, you know, going to be serious where he's going to be out for the year? Like Bryce Harper, he's going to have to DH and things like that. You know, it's he's already gone through Tommy John once. And, you know, going through this, the rehab again and the odds of coming back and being the same pitcher, I mean, I don't like those odds. But on the way to City Field, did that change your mind about going all in on Otani? And based on the reaction from the crowd, some of the intensity that we saw on Friday night with the Singa, Otani at bats, you heard those on the way in. The fact that, you know, the fans seem to be in it, the Japanese contingent. I know that was Japanese Heritage Night on Friday. This melting pot of a city that we're in, the melting pot of a state, how great it would be to see uh, a star from the Far East come and be the centerpiece of the offense right there with possibly Pete Alonso. I know there's still some talks of Pete getting traded, but, you know, the thought of having a middle of the order with the power that an Otani brings, a Pete Alonso, the kind of protection they would provide each other. And, hey, who knows, you know, can Francisco Alvarez, who has 30 home run power, be thrown into the mix and have this very difficult 4-5-6 maybe long range during an Otani contract uh, be out there? And then the thought that at some point, you know, maybe he's not a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. And because of the two-way aspect, when I looked at a contract coming in, I never thought that, you know, the pitching side was sustainable. Because you can't play every day on one end and, and hit at the elite level he, he does and pitch every five days. I mean, special guys can, but the human body's I mean, he's a freak. We know that. But the human body's the human body who's the human body. So, you know... After the injury, I said to myself, well, that may change some of my thoughts on the actual contract. And I saw what Ken Rosenthal wrote. And the reality is this, that you know the kind of offensive player you're talking about and the position that he plays DH, which ticks down the defensive side value. But if he's going to give you a 180 OPS plus through a big chunk of the early years of that contract and maybe drop off to you know, 130, 140, which is very good, you know, that's a 45 to $50 million a year player. Without a doubt, Otani is going to be looking for more than what Verlander and Scherzer are getting AAV. And I expected before he went down with an arm injury that the contract was going to go towards maybe a $60 million a year AAV. You know, this is not hard. You don't have to be a super agent to know that the performance on the mound is worth probably 25 to maybe $30 million a year, and the performance... Uh, at the plate is probably worth $30 million a year or so. So there you go. And now maybe, you know, the, the numbers change. But when you saw the electricity at City Field, when you saw how much attention this guy gets, you have to think from all standpoints, the Mets and Steve Cohen are drooling over the possibility. And look, they're not too far away from the sixth pick. I'm not into tanking. The importance of winning still is there. The importance of seeing what the Mets have. And I think just from a, a talent gap, they're going to lose 90 games because they just don't have enough. Even if they play hard, they don't have enough. You know, Buck's not a magician here. But, uh, you know, if they finish with the sixth pick, then they don't drop 10 slots down uh, because of being over the luxury tax. Uh, I'd have to see. You know, the rules are so confusing. You know, what happens when the qualifying offer comes into play, which Otani will definitely reject at that point. But, even with the injury, even with the likelihood that throughout 
I mean, he's going to get a seven to ten year deal. I got to see him. I mean, look, if you got Aaron, what is Aaron Judge about a ten year deal? You can't see a guy like this getting less than a ten year deal. He might even get twelve or thirteen years. Uh, what's important to him? AAV, uh, total dollars. I have to think the AAV is going to be important to Otani. Or, you know, look, we don't know what's inside of him. He doesn't talk. You know, I did a little reading up on him. Uh, Obviously, you know, English is a second language here. Uh, He doesn't talk a lot to the media. And, you know, the Japanese culture is a lot different than the American culture. So we really don't know what he values. We certainly know he's going to get paid more than any other player in the history of baseball. We certainly know that whoever he goes to is going to get this dynamic, marketable, uh, international flair to their team. This would be, an, I mean, the ultimate, and, and I think we're setting this up here in August because these are conversations we normally have in October after the season, but this Far East thought where the Mets could go after Yamamoto to anchor their rotation with Senga, and Otani now as a hitter, and maybe at some point in the next couple of years as the triumvirate part of that rotation. I mean, I, I have to think with the injury history and coming back, if he can pitch, you know, maybe he's a number three, number four starter, which is fine. I mean, look, even if he comes back and he's a guy that can't pitch regularly but can pitch, think about the kind of weapon that is, even in like, extra innings, a long game or something like that. I can't see how you could honestly get Otani in as a reliever because of the whole hitting component of it. I mean, he can't warm up and hit bullpen and hit. I mean, you have to time everything out when you're up at bat and whatnot and things like that, But and that would be dangerous. But there's so much to the fact that he can pitch and pitch at an elite level, even though, like I said last week, I did not believe his real value is as a pitcher. I think offensively, that's where you want to place the bet. That's where you know your money. Uh, you know, Injuries happen to offensive players. Decline happens to offensive players. But if you want to bet that kind of money, at least you're getting a half a player. And you're not getting a, a very good player. You're getting an elite player. I mean, going into today, uh, only Mookie Betts was better in war based on fan graphs than uh, Shohei Otani. I mean, it's simple at this point. Uh, so... As a Mets fan, though, and I think this is the the part that the intangible. So many times you've seen players come here and struggle with that first year New York contract here with basically Lindor. Think about it. And Beltron, we talked about it. And right now, the situation is, you know, pretty dire here because the Mets rolled a dice. They went all in when Cohen was the owner. Now they've taken a step back and done some kind of retool, whatever you want to call it. And if they're wrong or, you know, we talked about this last week, Billy Epler's job really depends on hitting on some of these prospects, the Cliffords, the the Gilberts, the Acunas, guys like that to justify giving up. And Max Scherzer's pitched pretty well for Texas. I told, you know, he's been up and down at some parts. For Landers, peripherals don't look great, but, you know, he's going to be pitching in big postseason games potentially for the Astros. I certainly think these two guys can put up, even if they're not vintage numbers, numbers that you'll look at and say, boy, I wish I had Max Scherzer today on the mound. I wish I had Verlander on the mound. Mets need a, 
a good start today. Take pressure off of Senga and Quintana and whoever else they bring in, even a Yamamoto, if they go that route. So they're making a big bet to replenish the farm system. And, and it'll potentially bring in another power bat in Clifford and a all-around you know, interesting player in Gilbert. And, and we'll see what Acuna could do. You know, he certainly has the the pedigree with his brother out there. Um, but anybody you bring in is coming in now to a situation that failure now hangs over the Cohen regime. See, Cohen didn't have to worry about Wilpon failure because he didn't have it. He had a clean slate. The clean slate's gone. And I said a couple of weeks back, you know, and I was emotional after the fact when I was not for the teardown. I look bad on this. Another E5 by good old Mike Silva. Robertson struggling out in Miami. Maybe the Mets plucked a couple of interesting assets there for a guy that you know they could resign if they want. Maybe even at a discount now with the struggles that Robertson have, has had down the stretch. Not sure why they have uh, come up. Maybe it's the change in scenery going from New York to Miami. Maybe there's an injury we don't know about. Maybe it's something else. But um, and then giving up on a couple of Hall of Famers. You know th- this now. You know, this looks like the wise decision. But at that time, I um, I said, how do you pitch to Otani coming here? You're already here. He doesn't want the East Coast. He wants the West Coast. So you already got strike one, if that's true, against you. And now you've got an owner that had a clean slate, was willing to spend, compete, contend every year. And he did the opposite this year after having those conversations with Scherzer and Verlander and, and selling both of them on coming to New York when maybe the— Certainly for Verla- uh, for Scherzer wasn't his first choice. And I said, how do you sell Otani on this? Well, I don't know. Maybe this weekend there was some buzz in the crowd. I mean, how many teams are going to be in the position that the Mets are? And I know there was a giveaway on Friday, and it was a nice Sunday. And, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, at least until school gets back in session, tend to still draw even when the team's out of it. You know, September will be a different story. But look at the buzz in the ballpark. I mean, and if Otani comes over to the other side, I mean, let's just look at possibilities here. A middle of the order of, you know, potentially Lindor, Alonzo, Otani, Alvarez. I mean, that enhances your lineup. You got Nimmo at the top of the lineup. Maybe he moves to a corner and Gilbert could come in and play center field. Or Acuna's in the mix. You know, maybe you move McNeil to right because Acuna can play second. You know, Look, be great for Beatty. You know, we still don't know what Beatty is. He's hitting the tar out of the ball down in Syracuse. There we go again, down or up. And, uh, well, let me know at MikeSilvatTalkingMetsPodcast.com. Is it up in Syracuse or down in Syracuse? Because it's technically up, not down, even though it's down a level. But put Beatty in the 7 or 8 hole, get him back acclimated, not having to feel so much pressure. That was another thing this year that, you know, was something that we had not factored into this whole scenario where... Alvarez and Beatty, and to a lesser degree, Vientos were asked to be saviors. But Otani coming here versus L.A. and I think even San Francisco will be looked at as a savior, will be looked at and scrutinized, and I think the the media attention probably will be enhanced because it's New York. I know he's been out in, in the L.A. area, but be enhanced because he'll have the richest contract in professional sports. I mean, think about it. An American pastime is going to award a Japanese player the richest contract in American uh, baseball history. Not American history, baseball history. Who knows? Might be the richest contract ever. We have to see. Got to go to spot track and see how that plays out. Could you have imagined that? I mean, think about it. After World War II, could you have thought we would be saying that? 
20 years ago when guys like okay 25 years ago when when nomo came and dazzled with his rookie season no one would ever think you'd you know see something like otani and even when otani was pitched as a two-way player i'm like oh come on nobody does that be interesting if that is something that other great athletes could pull off it's very very difficult so despite the injury, despite the fact that you're not getting the Otani you thought you were getting, you know, maybe you save $100 million on the deal. Maybe now instead of $60 million a year and a $600 million 10-year deal, he's at $500 million. Maybe you could justify that. You certainly have to push on the pitching side to understand, I don't care how much of a freak athlete he is. He is, you know, he just, he can't, how can he sustain this? Is, this would be, even if, even if it's not Tommy John, maybe he does the way Seth Lugo did it. It's a little tear. Let me just pitch through it and and rehab and rehabilitate and manage it. There are guys, you know, what was it? The Tanaka of the Yankees managed a slight tear in the tendon in the in the in the UCL and pitched throughout his career with it. I mean, there's a risk there. It'll snap, and then instead of getting two players, you get one. But I, I got to tell you, the more you see a guy like this, you look at the possibilities off the field. On the field, you really um, you really got to go all in on that kind of guy. I think you really have to go in the winter of Otani. Now, I don't want to do that and lose out on Yamamoto because I think Yamamoto and that pitching component is going to be big. But I could see the Mets' two big moves, even though they, they're talking about not being all in. But I could see them being in on these two guys because of the uniqueness where you know Yamamoto coming over from Japan, you may be able to get him at a slight discount from what the kind of elite repertoire he has because you still don't know how he's going to play here in the states you're taking a risk you have to go by your scouting team and then Otani it's like you know am I even getting two players I know I'm getting one and I'm getting a damn good hitter but am I getting two players it will be a far east flair for the Mets in free agency now maybe as you step back and look at the rest of the roster maybe they'll go more value driven and there'd be nothing wrong with that they strike out on these two guys. That'll be a very disappointing winter. But at the very least, I think the Mets with their money, with Cohen, with Cohen's salesmanship, uh, you know, the kind of things that they that he can offer, opening opportunities on the business side that other owners can't. You have to think they have a shot. Now they can't change the location of the of the of the city. They can't change the location of the stadium. They can't offer what LA offers in weather. You know, although Dodger Stadium underwater last week is that is that the same kind of benefit looked a hell of a lot like new york and queens last week when i saw those photos with the tropical storm can't offer the the you know hollywood and the sun and the great weather and the dodger stadium and the celebrities but they could offer you city field a hungry fan base a ballpark that when it's full and when the fans have their heads screwed on straight could be really a big home field advantage and i think otani in a lot of ways could sweep away a lot of negativity that has accrued over the years of this fan base and is starting to accrue under Cohen ownership over the last, oh, I'd say 12 months since September of last year when things didn't go so well at the end of the dream season last year. So buckle up. The winter of Otani is not too far away. He's still got to get through extended garbage time. Some of you want the Mets to finish with the sixth worst record. I don't. I want them to win as many games and play as well. I'm not into tanking. If it happens, great. 
You know, I love the extra pick, but that tells me that there's a lot of guys on here not performing, which means they need a hell of a lot more than the sixth pick to fix that. And maybe a hell of a lot more than Otani. And we got to get through extended garbage time, watch a bunch of other teams fight for the championship in October, and then the winter of Otani and the fun here for us at the Talking Mets podcast begins. So we got a little bit more garbage time here, but we're still going to have fun. We're still going to learn something. We're still going to have fun debate, mental bubble gum, and all the things that we normally do, whether the Mets are in it or out of it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Pete Alonso got hit. Buck's upset. Pete's upset. He's at right to be upset. It ain't going to change. Why? I'll tell you about that and more right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The helmet. Alonzo with some unhappy words for Ohoppy, and that'll bring everybody out of the dugout. Listen, listen the thing that happens for these opposing teams as they're like it, it was a breaking ball. It doesn't matter because you don't have the pitch ability to throw a breaking ball over the plate. It still makes the other uh, the Mets angry. Makes sense. Phil Nevin certainly wouldn't be happy if he got a breaking ball in the helmet. Well, Phil Nevin also doesn't have the guy who's been hit more often than any player right. this year, Pete Alonso. That's the 17th time he's been hit. Got him in the back of the neck. So he ducked out. The helmet kind of flew off and caught him right in the back of the neck. I mean, it's frustrating because it's 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 just a bad. It was just a really bad miss. Um, and I understand it wasn't intentional, but I mean, for misses to be that bad, it's happening more and more over the course of baseball. Um, and, and that's why it's frustrating. Uh, I think um, I think now with uh, the DH being unanimous. Um, like there's no more pitchers hitting or standing in the box. So I think that um, they don't necessarily remember uh, what it's like to stand in the box. Um, and there's no, I mean, there's going to obviously didn't do it on purpose. There's no repercussions. And, but at the same time, it's like, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Like it's baseball can be dangerous at times. That's why guys get hurt. That's why there's so much medical support staff. It's a dangerous game. It's just unfortunately that's just uh, uh, a part of the game more so than it was before. I mean, guys are throwing um, harder, faster, and uh, when you do that, um, teams teams incentivize guys to have like better stuff as opposed to more command, and that's just unfortunately a product of it. I mean, Is there a, another way to? I guess, you know, defend or, or prevent these things from happening, especially as frustrations start to boil over? Um, you know, I don't think this is the avenue where you talk about that out publicly. So it's a tough game played by tough men and uh, and other levels women. So, you know, I have some very personal thoughts about it, and I think you know me well enough that uh, – um, we're all very frustrated by what's going on with Pete for a while. He's leading baseball and hit by pitches. It's certainly a, 
you know, I don't really want to hear about a product of how they pitch it. Very, uh, you know, you take a ball in the, the neck or, you know, not happy about it. Not happy at all. You heard the, the reaction from the booth. You heard from Pete Alonzo. You heard from Buck Showalter. And let me tell you something. Uh, this whole hit-by-pitch thing is being covered way wrong by everybody. By Mets fans, by everybody. Um, this is a problem in baseball. The Mets, first off, haven't been hit the most times this year. With the Seattle Mariners, were hit more than the Mets at 91. The Mets have been hit 84 times coming into today's action. Right behind them is the Minnesota Twins at 77 and the Oakland Athletics at 76. 1,689 batters have been hit this year by pitches. So to say that the Mets are targeted, uh, well, they're at the top, but I don't know why the A's would be targeted or the Mariners would be targeted or the Tampa Bay Rays or the Nats. These are all top 10 teams and being hit by pitch. I don't know why any of those teams are any different than the Mets. I mean, I don't know why the Twins and the Mets who have seven hit-by-pitches between them are any different. Now, the Mets have a couple of guys like Alvarez and Alonzo that if you want to pitch to them and keep their power out of the sweet spot of the bat, you got to come into their kitchen. So that could play into it. I've been concerned about Pete Alonzo for a long time. I mean, I don't know what kind of... I think he's got some kind of protection on his hand, but there's only so much you can do. You can't put a, a, a force field around his, his hand... I've always felt with Darvish hitting him, and he's been hit a couple of times. And he was out actually this year for a couple of weeks after getting hit by a pitch. He's a prime candidate to have his hand broken, and you could lose a season. Jeff Bagwell, if you look at earlier in his career, almost to the exact day, I think it was 94 and 95 seasons, uh, Bagwell was hit and broke his hand the same spot uh, back-to-back years. And lost some time. I'll even I'll even look that up before I'm uh, I'm back. So let me look real quick. Uh, yeah, ninety five and ninety four. Bagwell actually was hit by a pitch back to back years. Broke his hand and missed significant time. Now it did impact him. You know he's still a great player, but um, you know this is part of being a power hitter. This is part of the game. This is part of pitching inside. Now if only it was that simple. And I know Buck talked about not wanting to use the post-game press conference on the pulpit as the forum to go into what's the problem. So here's what I see the problem is. By and large, and this is blessed off by the powers that be, what I mean front offices in Major League Baseball, have thrown away command and control as important components of developing pitchers and have focused on velocity and more speed and more spin to hell if these guys could do it. To hell if these guys know where the ball's going. And as a result, that's why you have so many hit-by-pitches. Now, look, it's not like batters were never hit in the past. But I did some quick, very anecdotal, non-scientific, random seasons I brought up. 1999 and 2000. Why did I bring them up? We're Mets fans here on this program. We love those seasons. For the entire season, there was a shade over 1,500 batters hit in those two years. We're already north of 1,600. You got five weeks left to play, so you're probably going to be north of 1,700, maybe 1,800 before the 
thing is all said and done. I don't know what the record is. I'm, I'm assuming we're there. I think the Reds set a record a few years ago. So we've been hearing about hit-by-pitch records the last few years. You want to go further back in time? 1986? We love that season, right? A little shade under 900 batters for the entire year were hit. We're already double that on August 27th. So what does that tell you? Expansion, of course, played into that. Worst pitchers who are minor league pitchers um, on big league ball clubs. You want to add another component? There's constant shuttling because now nobody goes deep. So you got guys up and down, Kalarik up, bring them down. Do you know the other day, and I- I'm going to bring it up. Uh, I'm going to try to find the guy's name. This is how bad it's been for the Mets pitching-wise this year. Um, let me find his name. I turned on the television, and where? I'm going to get this guy's name. It tells you. I don't even know the guy's name off the top of my head, and that's this is a guy that, oh, geez, where is he? Tommy Hunter, Jose Yacobonis, Reyes, Walker, Muckinron, Benny Matoli. Tyson Miller. Tyson Miller was on the mound for the Mets. I had no idea who he was. Now, I remember that. I think they acquired him from Milwaukee or something. He was picked off waivers or something like that. I, I Or the Dodgers. I can't remember. Fine, whatever. Doesn't matter. He was filler. They're trying to fill the arms so they're not embarrassing themselves the final five or six weeks of the season. But, I mean, I look up and down how many pitchers have appeared for the Mets. I mean, Yacobonis up, Reyes up, Santana up, Santana down, Josh Walker, Reed Garrett, Muckenherm, Natoli, Coonrod, Kalarik, Tyson Miller, TJ McFarlane. And I look at this and I just go, there's guys on here that, you know, 1986 would never see the light of a big league ballpark. They'd be in double A AA or triple A figuring out, you know, if they'd ever get a shot. And that's part of it, too. So now you have the shuttle, a lot of guys in and out, guys throwing hard, guys trying to spin it, guys trying to work on stuff while they're in the big leagues, or guys who quite simply can't get big league hitters out. They're not just going to throw them a fastball. So let me try this. Boom. Broke someone's hand out for the year. So how does this end? You can't legislate this. Look, you've legislated stolen bases. You've legislated the speed of the game. You've legislated the bullpen management because you didn't like how things were going and you didn't like where the game was going with defenses and shifts and, you know, one batter rule, which I don't agree with the three batter rule. I think, you know, you know, all that stuff. And when the season's over, I'll tell you why. It's not the pitch clock, I think, that's speeding up games. I have another theory, but that's for another show for another day. Um, All this together is leading to a more dangerous game. And Pete's right, it's a dangerous game. And I like how some people, like, oh, look at Barry Bonds and look at Pete, all this armor, you know, Nimmo's, they got all this armor. Well, you need armor because you're like a pinata up there. You know, you guys have all probably seen a video of somebody, whether it's Nolan Ryan or Edwin Diaz or some flamethrower that you get a behind-the-plate camera view and you look at it and you're like, wow, it's... It's so much faster than you could even imagine. I mean, think about that. And think about that with the person on the other side on the mound who has no idea how he's throwing it. Now, this Lopez guy that was on the mound, he's averaging for his career, he's had a couple of seasons, and this year he's at four and a half walks per nine. He had a season where he's five per nine. Yeah, he strikes out 12, 13, 14 per nine, but he walks the ballpark because he doesn't know where the damn ball's going. 
and you think it's going to get better? You think drivelines teaching command and control? When is the last time you've heard anybody, anybody of these progressive new age thought leaders or programs talk about command and control? Velo, 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 velo. Lat issues, UCL issues, TJ issues, you know, so on and so forth. And look, I'm like anybody else. I love when Edwin Diaz comes in and throws 100 miles an hour. But if Edwin Diaz didn't have that wipeout slider, he wouldn't get anybody else out either as well. You saw it his first year. It takes more than Velo to get things done. There are way too many walks out of bullpens today. Way too many walks. And now it's getting dangerous because those walks are turning to hit batsmen because these guys don't know where the ball's going. And you know how it's going to get better? I'll tell you how it's going to get better. It's going to get better just like when they legislated the home plate collision stuff. And the only reason that home plate rule exists is because a catcher that somebody cared about, Buster Posey, got hurt and was knocked out for the year. Nobody cared for years when it happened to Mike Piazza. Nobody cared. Or Todd Hunley. Or Johnny Bench. Or Gary Carter. There's a great scene in the 86 Mets highlight video. I think it was against the Pirates or the Phillies where there's a collision at the plate and Carter takes a hit. And the batter's at the plate. I mean, I got a, I got in my studio here, I've got an 86 World Series. I think it's Jim Rice got thrown out of the plate by Mookie Wilson in game six. And there's Carter at the plate. You know, he blocked the plate, you know. Blocking the plate was a thing. The only reason they stopped that is because someone got hurt. What will happen? And I don't know how you legislate it. Because you can't. But the way you legislate it and the way people will wake up is someone's going to get badly hurt. Or goff a bit killed by a hit to the temple. Tony Conigliario. You guys have heard about it. Goff forbid. And then it will be, hmm... Then all of a sudden, the same people who have touted all these stupid velo programs that there's nothing wrong with increasing your velocity, but if it's at the expense of control, it's no different than you saying, you know, Mike, I could drive my car 95 miles an hour and get from A to B that much faster. Now, you'll take out a stop sign. You'll take out a, a, an old lady crossing the street. You might sideswipe a bus, but I got there quicker than you, Mike. Where me, at 65, actually get there in one piece and didn't hurt anybody. Or my car. It's the same thing. You guys may be laughing as you're watching this. It's the same thing. So, while you're all mad, oh, the Mets need to hit somebody and retaliate. No, they don't. Well, they can. They're going to do it anyway because everybody hits everybody else. It's not a Mets problem. It's a baseball problem. It's not a Pete Alonso problem. It's a baseball problem. Go to baseballreference.com and look at the numbers. That's it. It's simple. Grow up. You know? And I hear what Pete's saying. There's a DH. There's no accountability. Doesn't matter. These relievers weren't going to get up and face a pitcher anyway. Lopez wasn't going to get up. I know starters it happens to, too. They want it to be wiffle balls. Like a spin, a spin, a spin, a spin. They, You know, yeah, wiffle ball don't hurt you. Like, at some point... Get the ball into the strike zone. Be surprised. Hitting's pretty darn tough. You'll probably get the hitter out. Doesn't necessarily have to be 100 miles an hour. You know? There's a chance, there's a 70 to 75% chance, even with the best of hitters, 
just by throwing that ball in the zone with a little bit of velocity and a little bit of spin, you're probably going to get them out. It'll be a ground ball to short or a pop-up or something. It's not as cool as blowing them away. I mean, geez, who, who wouldn't like to see someone blown away? But that's the issue. Nothing more, nothing less. All right, I got fired up. All right, let's take a quick break. Final segment coming up. I've done a lot of make culpas today. I was wrong about Senga. All right, maybe I was a little harsh. I wanted the Mets to go for it. I was wrong about that. Looks like the, the Mets were right about that. Some interesting prospects down in the minor leagues. I have been against the Lindor contract for a while. Now, I haven't been anti-Lindor. You guys have listened, but I've been against the Lindor contract. And I've said he's really not as good as you think. Well, quietly, maybe I'm wrong. We'll talk about that in the final segment right after this. And he drives that one right down the line, headed toward the pole, and it's out of here. A bullet home run just inside the foul pole for Francisco Lindor, number 24 on the year to get the bats on the board. Lindor, 11 straight games with a hit, this one with authority. Yeah, changeup turned over by Sandoval, and Lindor was all over it. How do you keep it fair? Just hit it so hard that it doesn't have a chance to go foul. We're back. Final thoughts. Well, Francisco Lindor, you guys, if you don't know it, if you're new to the show, well, I'll give you a brief timeline because those that listen to me for years are probably tired of hearing of it. I had no problem with the Lindor trade. You know, I was not a Rosario fan. I liked Jimenez, but I thought he was a component player. I thought he was, you know, in a way, a poor man's Omar Vizquel. And, he, you know, he's had some good years in Cleveland. I don't know. I don't think he's having as quite a good year this year. Uh, I'll look that up, but I wasn't crying over giving up uh, Jimenez and and Lindor uh, when when that trade was made. And uh, when he came over, my issue was the contract. You know, how can you give a guy that many thought, what many Mets fans thought they were getting a top ten player in baseball, a ten year deal for three hundred and fifty million dollars? Uh, who clearly was, you know, in some cases, offensively not the player you thought. You know, it wasn't a guy that I thought would hit 30 home runs. He was a very good defensive player. You know, there was some talk about his inability to hit with runners in scoring position. And then, of course, you know, right before the season, Steve Cohen, new owner, wants to wash away the narrative that the Mets don't spend and they can't play in the deep end of the pool rewards Lindor with his crazy contract. And then you know what happens. Awful, awful, awful. Majority of 2021, awful. Started to play better late in the year. I think he had his coming out party, and I still will go by this, his coming out party with that three-home run game uh, against the Yankees on a Sunday night. That was in the 9-11 weekend. I think that was on 9-11. There was some emotion in that series, you know, though the Mets were falling out of it or had already fallen out of it. And, uh, you know, you had, you know, when Baez came that year, there was talk of Baez kind of helping Lindor, helping him get comfortable. There was talk about signing Baez long term. That is a fortuitous non-move because Baez has gone to Detroit and, and not been the same player. And even last year where Lindor had a very good season and, uh, you know, finished in the top 10 in MVP and played well against the Padres in the postseason – there was still a lot of Mets fans that were like, eh, you know, he's not clutch and this and that. And I said, 
quite honestly, I'm like, look, I don't have a problem with Lindor. He's a very good defensive shortstop. I thought he was a streaky hitter. Um, But, you know, if the Mets had just waited to the end of the season, they probably didn't have to sign him to a 10-year deal. They probably could have got him at a little bit less. It's only money, not my money. It's Cohen's money. But when money becomes a, a, a block to improving the roster at some point, you start to say, well, if Lindor wasn't making 35 a year, we could have used an extra $5 million to do X, Y, Z, whatever. But ever since, a, you know, a funny thing happened. Lindor had his second child in June. And since then, he's had an OPS over 1,200. He's played better than ever. He's having probably a better season than he had in uh, 2022. You know, about the same, but maybe a little bit better season. He's got an OPS over 800. He hasn't done that since 2019, since pre-pandemic, had an OPS over 800. Uh, he's stealing bases. He's probably going to be a 2020 guy at, at this current rate. He is actually a 2020 guy this year. I don't know if he'll be a 30-30 guy. He's outside shot at being 30-30, joining Hojo and Strawberry. He's got 23 stolen bases and 24 home runs. You know, I could see him another six home runs, another seven stolen bases. That'd be a nice achievement. He plays an outstanding shortstop. You've seen more of it now since the shift rules have been banned. And maybe he's not, you know, the rah-rah leader, you know, in-your-face, tough guy leader that maybe you guys like or want. But he's a guy that goes out there short of having a couple of freak injuries this year. I mean, he plays every day. He played 161 games last year. Play, you know, he had the oblique situation in 2021 that limited him to 125 games. Had a little bit of a, you know, he, and last year he played 161 games because and he broke, he fractured his finger in a stupid hotel door. That could have went down as a a very Metzian type of scenario. And he still played 161 games. Then this year, I don't even know what the injury was. Was it the side? Is oblique? I can't remember. He's missed a few games. You know, obviously the birth of his daughter and things like that. But you know, he's he's actually been really, really good. And then quietly, I go to Fangraphs, and since 2021, when he was signed by the Mets, he has the fifth highest wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, in baseball. That's more on the offensive side than Otani. Um, That's more than Trey Turner. Bryce Harper's not even on the first page. It's more than Xander Bogarts, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Jose Altuve, Austin Riley. The only players with better war in that span are Jose Ramirez, his former teammate in Cleveland, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Aaron Judge. I mean, he's significantly better than guys like Ronald Acuna Jr., Rafael Devers, Carlos Correa, who the Mets nearly signed to a bigger contract. You know the only other Mets who shows up on the first page and not Pete Alonso, it's Brandon Nimmo at 29. A skush ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. So you start to look at that. He's arguably been the best shortstop in the league over that time. He's one of the top 10 players in baseball over that time. You know, there's a lot of similarities, different position, but a premium position to... Carlos Beltran and how he signed and maybe was underappreciated. You know, Beltran was a guy in a smaller market, had a big postseason series with the Astros, played a premium position, had his ups and downs, trying to find his way into his prime. And finally, when he hit his stride before he got hurt with his knee, and his knee was a serious injury, you know, bone on bone, that was a microfracture surgery. The fact that he came back and was still a productive big leaguer and 
and we'll talk about that in the offseason, probably a Hall of Famer. You know, uh, that's pretty good company for Lindor. And I have to say, he's worth the contract. He's worth $35 million a year. You want to talk about what he's actually worth? They figure this stuff out on fan graphs. They do that. So let's take a look. Is he underpaid? Is he overpaid? Let's see real quick. Where are the dollars conversion? I'll bring that up. Nothing ever comes up. You know what he's worth this year? $42 million bucks. Last year's worth $53 million bucks. In 2021, his quote-unquote down year, he was worth $33.6 million. About what he was making. You know? I was wrong. And maybe a lot of us were wrong. And right now, Lindor and Alonzo, if those guys hit, the Mets play well. If you remember, after the All-Star break, when the Mets made, before they started to slump in September, when they made that push and really, you know, the Braves were coming at them and, and the Braves just never stopped winning. And the Mets did in September. But the Mets played at a very high level post-All-Star break last year, and it was because Lindor and Pete were hitting a ton. They were hitting the tar out of the baseball. When those two guys are right and hitting together, the Mets play very well offensively. Even last year when they had some soft spots in lineup with the catching situation, before they brought in the, the Vogelback as the DH, they couldn't get anything out of the DH spot. You know, Escobar had his issues until September, but that was all washed away by Lindor and Pete. Pete with his home runs, Lindor with his, honestly, his overall good play. I mean, unlike Alonzo, who I could peck away at his season. I mean, what has he got, 14, 15 doubles? It's really been home run or nothing with Alonzo in a lot of ways. Home run walking, I mean, he's been a, more of a three true outcome guy. Solid defensively, okay defensively, but not Lindor's class versus his position. And, you know, to me, that's that's something that's not talked about. Lindor is a top 10 player in baseball since he came to the Mets. Very underappreciated, very undervalued, treated similarly like Carlos Beltran. Biggest difference is year three, Beltran, well, year two, Beltran struck out in a big spot. Lindor's team didn't do what everybody thought. He got, he played poorly early on. And look, we don't know. I mean, maybe the stress of his daughter being born, you know, you don't know the the background behind the, the pregnancy. There could have been a lot of things going on. These guys are human beings. Now, it is their responsibility with the money they're getting paid to compartmentalize and go out there and compete and perform at a high level. I'm not making excuses. But the reality is, sometimes that doesn't happen. Now, is it a total coincidence that his OPS is over, well over 1,000 since the kid's born? Maybe. But I don't think so. I think maybe there was some stuff going on. You know, he's at the World Baseball Classic. He's away from his family. His wife is seven, eight, nine months pregnant. You know, you guys have had children. I have it, but you guys have children. I've spoken to close friends who had it. It's a stressful thing. Imagine if you were in, you know, the last 90 days of your wife's pregnancy, you were never around and traveling. You know, you're making big money, and that, that band-aids some things, but a human being is a human being. You know, and I think last year his season was underrated, and he's been pretty darn good after the initial New York baptism by fire when he played awfully his first three months in 2020, 2021. The guy's been pretty good. He's been elite. And I'll tell you from my perspective, watching him play defense this year, and he doesn't have a great arm, but he really, similar to Derek Jeter, he knows how to use what limitations he has with his arm. 
to get the ball over there in a timely fashion. He's got a lot of that component with the little bounce throw. I mean, his range is way better than Derek Jeter. I mean, night and day. Jeter was an overrated, in my opinion, defensive player. What, what Jeter did do well is he was fundamentally made the plays he was supposed to make, and then when he made tough plays, he stayed with it himself and his skill set to execute them. And that's what I would say with Lindor with his arm. So that's why I would give Jeter some credit. So I think we would round out this show. I'd be remiss. Now watch, I do this. The guy goes into a six-week slump. His season ends like in the, you know, the blanker. And then we'll be talking about this all over again come October. But you know what? There's a lot of issues with the Mets right now, especially on the pitching front. The pitching's been awful outside of Senga and maybe a little bit of Quintana since he came back. The pitching's been awful and disappointing. But it hasn't been because of Lindor. And and really on the offensive side, that's the only player that I could say this year has performed as you would expect. I wouldn't put Alonzo in that category. I certainly put McNeil in that category. To a certain degree, I think Nimmo's been a tick down this year since he got the contract. So those core veteran players, only Lindor has lived up to his end of the bargain. And then some. And so the Mets do have a top. 10 player on their roster. It doesn't have to be Otani. Otani would make it two. It's not Pete Alonso. It's not Brandon Nimmo. It's not Jeff McNeil. It's Francisco Lindor. So, interesting stuff. All right, that's all I have for you here on this Sunday, the last show for the Dog Days of August. I know what you may be asking. What about the ceremony, the retirements of Doc and Daryl? Uh, I'm going to hold that off to next week. I have some thoughts. I'm going to try to see what kind of uh, segment I could put together. Love to talk more about Doc and Daryl. We'll certainly talk about it more uh, when it happens next year. But, um, you know, usually the Mets give us this kind of content in January to get us through the malaise, the post-New Year's, that, that frozen tundra of January when it's cold and baseball seems so far away and the hot stove has cooled down a little bit because the winter meetings is over and New Year is over and you're still 30 days away from uh, pitchers and catchers. And then they announced who's going to be, you know, their numbers being retired. I think they wanted to jazz the fans up a little bit. I think there was a marketing business purpose to that. Does it matter? Well-deserved, Doc and Daryl. I had heard rumors it was coming. I'll give you my reaction to that. Ironically, Daryl was part of one of the initial guests the first month on my 1240 AM WGB, blah, 1240 AM WGBB show back in 2007. Daryl came on that program, and I had Doc on during the pandemic which some of you may have heard. So we may bring that one back, the doc interview um, on the pandemic and stuff like that. So anyway, um, that's it. That's all I have for you. You can check me out, of course, all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, Talking Mets, No G. And of course, I want to thank the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcast. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Be the Mets. Be the Mets.